Has anyone seen the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? He wakes up at 6 a.m. every day, and uh, what music is playing on his clock radio? Anybody? There's a real Sonny and Cher fan right there. I got you, babe, by the Sonny and Cher. So when I walked out, some of you might have thought, this guy again? It must be Groundhog Day all over. Well, here's the story. Pastor Jeff was scheduled to speak this morning, but uh, he has a medical condition. Give me a screen. Another one? And he, he's doing well, and he'll be back in church next Sunday. But, uh, yeah, I'm here. What do I say? <laughs> You're a very loving congregation. We're in a series called Cages and Chains, and we're learning that God wants us to escape from the cages that confine us and break the chains that hold us captive from living the life that God intends for us. And this morning I want to talk about a very dangerous subject. You like danger, don't you? And it's something that trips up most of us sometime or other. And as we read this passage, I want to see how discerning you are and see if you can identify this dangerous subject. Paul writes, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned, pick it up with me, the secret of contentment in every situation. Whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want. Did you catch it? What's the dangerous subject of today's message? It's the opposite of contentment. It's discontentment. The devil, Satan, the enemy of our soul, loves to bind God's people with the chains of discontentment. One of the greatest Christians who ever lived said he had to learn not to be bound by those chains. The apostle Paul said he had to learn contentment. Now, this is no news to you, but I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I do know this. If Paul had to learn to be content, then I, David, have to learn it. It's not a personality trait or a special innate quality that some people have and some people don't have. No. All of us have to learn contentment because we weren't born that way. We weren't born with contentment. And it doesn't come naturally to us as human beings. 
So if you could trade places with God, and by the way, you can't trade places with God, but just for this exercise, if you could trade places with God, how do you think you would teach contentment? Would you harangue and coerce and threaten? You be content. Would you teach followers of Jesus contentment by giving them everything they wanted in life whenever they wanted it? That's not the way God does it. Paul says that God releases us from the chains of discontentment and the bondage of that by teaching us the attitude of contentment by the ups and downs of life. Not just through the highs and the mountaintop experiences, but also through the lows and the valleys. The first key this morning to breaking the chains of discontentment is to excuse me, understand the definition of contentment. When I said we're going to talk about contentment, some of you may have tuned me out because you're not interested in learning contentment the way you have defined it. When you hear the word contentment, you may think laziness. You may think lack of motivation. You may believe people who say they're content are the same people who don't get anything done in life. If that's your definition, let me encourage you to be open to redefining contentment. If you think your, your idea of contentment is laziness or lack of motivation or just being mediocre... I want you to know that's not what we're talking about. And that's not contentment according to the Bible. Don't forget who wrote this verse. The Apostle Paul is one of the great figures in human history. He wasn't a settle for less kind of God. He wasn't a lazy or indifferent guy who lacked motivation. That's not what this is about. In fact, when Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, he was a Roman prisoner in the city of Rome. He says in all the ups and the downs of life, he had learned contentment. Let me give you a biblical definition of contentment. Contentment is trusting God in any and every circumstance for what he has for you and for what he wants to do in your life. Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, also wrote the book of Ephesians. And he says here, with God's power working in us, he can do much, much more than anything we can ask or think of. With contentment, we're trusting in God 
for the much more that only He can do in our lives. The second key of breaking the chains of discontentment is this. We have to deal with the enemy of contentment. Most people would agree that the number one enemy of contentment is something that we all learn how to do at a very young age. Comparison. And whenever I go down the road of comparison with other people, I run the risk of comparing contentment right out of my life. On Google, I ran across an answer to this question. The question was, how do you describe contentment? And the answer was, contentment is being satisfied with what you have, whatever that is. Writing to the believers in a region called Galatia, Paul talks about this when he says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Read it with me. Don't compare yourself with others. Say you buy a very clean, low-mileage, three-year-old used car. You're very happy with that car. Then your neighbor gets a brand new car with all the bells and the whistles and the technology that you couldn't afford. Suddenly, your car doesn't look as good to you as it did before your neighbor bought the new car. Why is it? It's the same car you were happy with just a few days before. Comparison. Or let's say you go to Fritz's on a warm August night and you order a scoop. And you're going to have to help me here because my wife said you don't know how to pronounce this word. It's a hot fudge. Sunda? Sundi? Well, you got to help me out. I'll go like this and you say it, okay? It's a one scoop hot fudge. Sunday. You're all wrong, aren't you? <laughs> and man, you just, your mouth is watering and you think, man, this is what I've wanted all day long. And you're contented with what you have. And then the guy behind you in line gets a two-scoop hot fudge. You're easily trained. Two scoops with extra whipped cream and pecans. And you're standing there with your little one scoop. And it just doesn't seem as exciting and satisfying as before. And why is that? Comparison. Or you decide to take a, a four-day, an extended weekend vacation to Carlisle Lake with your pop-up camper. And you have a good time with your family uh, around the lake, fishing and a little boating, and good time. Then you check Facebook when you get home, 
and you see that your friends are posting pictures from their 10-day Disney cruise vacation. And you decide not to post photos of your Carlisle Lake trip. I'm telling you, it's a killer. Comparison is a strong link in the chains of discontentment. We've seen it happen to other people, and most of us can say it's happened to us. When we compare our lives and our situations to others, we can quickly realize that our contentment can be gone in a moment, and those chains of discontentment will squeeze us tighter and tighter. The problem of comparison is you let what other people experience and what they possess determine your level of contentment. One of the greatest verses about contentment is this one about God's love and God's care. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be, what's the word? Content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We don't believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But you can learn to be content in any of the highs and lows of life when you realize you have a God that loves and cares for you and makes a promise that he's never going to leave you or forsake you in any circumstance that you are going through. Here's the third key to breaking the chains of discontentment. Learn to be content, whether it's with little or with much. Contentment is not a matter of how much you have. It's being satisfied in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. That's why Paul said earlier that I've learned to be content whether I had plenty or whether I was in want. He said, I'm content in both circumstances. You see, some people think contentment is only about when we have a lot of stuff in our life. But that's not the economy of contentment that God is working with. As far as God is concerned, it begins with being content with little. You and I make progress in learning to be content when we realize life is not about the accumulation of things. The wisest man in the world He was the Jeff Bezos of his day. Had this to say. It is better 
to be content with what little you have. Otherwise, you will always be struggling for more. And that is like chasing the wind. If we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that some time in our lives, we've been caught up in the chase that Solomon writes about here. Paul goes on to say, but godliness with, what's the word? Contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. This verse tells us what the minimum requirement of contentment should be. That's food and clothing. And we can expand the meaning of clothing here to include basic shelter. We're to be content with that. Now, I know that we all like more. But the requirement for contentment is very low because of God's involvement and connection with us. If we think we need more in order to be content, we're never going to be content because more doesn't satisfy what only God can provide you. A Greek philosopher once said this, and I want you to put on your thinking caps. For whom little is enough, excuse me, not enough, let me start over, for whom little is not enough, nothing is enough. For whom little is not enough, nothing is enough. To learn to be content with little, I have to ask myself, what exactly is my contentment level? It's probably different for for all of us. Is it my basic needs met? the shelter and and the food, the basic needs of life? Is it financial security? Or do I have to have more and more and more? Studies have been done where people are asked, how much do you need to be content? And whatever salary they make, yearly salary, or whatever hourly wage they have from their job, people say they need twice as much to be content. Now, when we think about contentment, we have to learn to be content, not with twice as much, but with little. That's when we're making progress. Paul said the other side of it is 
we've got to learn to be content with much. I'm content with little when I realize life is not about the accumulation of more things. I can also be content if God happens to bless me and give me more by realizing that I can't trust in my things. The problem is when you get a few more things in life, it's easy to start to trust in those things what you have instead of trusting in God. In fact, the Bible talks about this. This next verse that they're going to show talks about those who are rich in this world. And our first thought when we hear that is to discount ourselves and just say, that's not for me. Because we're not thinking as we sit here this morning that we are rich. But consider that 50% of the world's population lives on less than $5.50 a day. And I've done the math. That's less than $170 a month. One half of the world's population. So in light of that, I would say that all of us here would be considered to have riches in light of the world's population. So, this is directed to you and me. Tell those who are rich in this world, say, that's me. Come on, that's me. Not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, there are groups of people who think it's not fair or right when you have more than just your basic needs met. They want you to feel guilty about having what you have. But again, that's not biblical. Jesus teaches that if God blesses you, and gives you more, it's then your responsibility to do more with what he's given you for the sake of his kingdom in this world. If God gives you more, you've got to watch out, be on guard for the contentment-stealing trap of trusting in the more that you've been given. To trust in your abundance to make you feel secure and satisfied. And this leads us to the fourth key to breaking the chains of discontentment, which is carefully pursue, excuse me, choose what you pursue. Carefully choose what you pursue. Paul, again, writing to us, says, 
For the love of money is the root. Just let me stop a minute. Many people misquote that, and they say money is the root. No, God knows we need money. It's the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. They have pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man or woman of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. You might circle the word pursue there. What I choose to pursue and go after is going to cause certain things to take place in my life. So the question might be asked, what are you pursuing this morning? If you're going after the wrong thing, you may end up with the results you don't want. Either you'll be frustrated if you don't get what you're chasing, or you'll pay too high a price to get that thing or those things, and it may, in in the end, cause you pain, whether that's pain spiritually, emotionally, relationally, or physically. What are you pursuing? We're all pursuing something. What are you chasing after? We're all chasing after something. This passage warns us. The red lights are going on. Carefully choose what you pursue in life. If you just choose to pursue money and what it can buy, what's going to happen in your life? Even if you get all the money, that may be all you end up with. And that can be a tragic outcome. So what do you pursue? Paul says, pursue righteousness, which is a right relationship with God. He says, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue perseverance, and gentleness. Chase after those things men and women of God. What got more of your energy this past week? Was it the pursuit and the chase after things? Or was it the pursuit and the chasing after righteousness and faith and godliness and love? When you pursue, when I pursue that which has eternal value, The result is spiritual growth in our lives. Someday, because of your decision to pursue the things of God while you were alive on this earth, you will have ultimate fulfillment. The psalmist says, But as for me, my contentment is not in wealth, but in seeing you and knowing all is well between us. And when I awake in heaven, I will be fully satisfied, for I will see you face to face.
Now that's the dream I have for you and I have for me. Instead of chasing after temporal, worldly things that entice us, that quickly pass away, we pursue the things of God. Because we know we will have eternal satisfaction with Him someday because of what we pursued in this life. We will see Him face to face. So what are you chasing after today? What are you pursuing with the life God gave you? You could live life chasing after money, chasing after all the wonderful things that that money can buy and what money you think will do for you. But it's a futile and it's an empty quest in light of eternity and the blessing of God's presence in heaven. The question is, will what you're pursuing and chasing after this morning move you further away from or closer to God and his son, Jesus Christ? If I'm going to see the chains of discontentment broken in my life, I've got to apply the fifth and last key, which is I have to rely on the strength of Christ. How many people do you know and have known who try to find contentment in in their money, in their things, their possessions? They'll never find it because no matter how much money and things they have, They never have enough. Just ask them. It's never enough. Never enough. How many people do you know who are waiting for just the right circumstances to align in their lives? If this happens, this happens, and it all comes together, then I'll have contentment. There's no such thing as perfect alignment in this life. Because the moment you think you have it, something comes along and it turns it upside down. Contentment is not found in having more money, more things, or in having perfect circumstances. But contentment is found in the one who is perfect in every way, and that's Jesus Christ. If I'm going to find contentment, no matter what my circumstances are, I have to do what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. I've got to rely on Christ to make it happen. You can't will contentment into your life. You've got to rely on Jesus. And how do we do that? How do we rely on Jesus Christ? What exactly does that mean? To to rely on Christ means you do what he says to do by placing your trust in him. If he says, forgive this person, 
Even though you don't feel like forgiving, you make a conscious decision with his help to forgive. If he says, I want you to be patient in this circumstance you find yourself in, and even you don't feel like being patient, you ask Jesus to help you be patient. You and I decide whether or not we're going to live the kind of life where we do what God tells us to do in the pages of the book he's written to us, the Bible. That's what it means to rely on him through trusting him. You do what he says to do. Now our pride, our need to try to control our own life, gets in the way. They're two of the main reasons we have problems with relying on God by trusting Him. But here's the truth. If we're going to see those chains of discontentment broken in our lives, we must fully turn to Jesus for the strength we need. You see, there's life-giving freedom when I realize it's possible to be free from those chains of discontentment and be content whatever my circumstances. That's freedom. That's when there's nothing the economy can do to me to steal my contentment. That's when there's nothing the doctor can say to me that can steal my contentment. There's nothing my job or my employer can do to me that can steal my contentment. My contentment is above and beyond any and all circumstances Because my contentment is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. And as we read this last verse together, I've been praying, God, help faith. Help faith kind of build and and well up inside of us as we read it together to believe that we're not alone in these circumstances we're facing And some of you are in some dire circumstances. Some of you are in some tough places. Some of you are hurting this morning. And I want you to know you're not alone. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with us as a church. Jesus is with us as a country. And Jesus is helping us faith fellowship by providing the the mental and the emotional and the physical and the spiritual strength we need for today and the rest of our lives. So let this verse be our statement of faith as we come against those chains of discontentment. Here's the verse, very familiar verse. We've heard it. Let's sing it. Sing it together now. Let's sing it together. We could sing it. 
I really want us to emphasize a, a few words here, and, and I'll kind of be strong on those words, because we're going to do it twice. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Millions of Christians have read this down through the ages. God wants you to hear it for yourself today. God wants you to internalize it. God wants you to know that this is truth. You can choose to ignore it. You can choose to disregard it. Or you can say, I want that faith to believe that verse. You see, contentment is God's best for our lives. But we have to break the chains of contentment for that to take place. Paul said earlier that he had learned the secret. I'm an old, my, old guy, older than 95% of you, and I'm still learning it. And I realize it's an ongoing day-to-day process. You and I can live with any circumstance of life because of Jesus Christ who loves us and he gives us the strength we need. To break the chains of discontentment. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you today that you do love us You do care for us. And you showed us how much you loved us because you went to the cross to die for us. That we might be forgiven, have our sins cleansed, and know the wonder and the joy of living for you in this life and the supreme joy and happiness living with you for all eternity. Lord, help us to internalize this verse that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can break those chains of discontentment when we look to you, Jesus, to help us. You're for us. You're not against us. And we love you today, and we thank you, Jesus, that you're our Savior and our soon-coming King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Band's going to play a song, and I'm excited about this Sunday because we're starting back after service prayer. We'll have a prayer team here. We're just going to have one prayer team. But if you have prayer need for anything in your family, your life, these three people want to pray with you. So I encourage you to come up after the song. God bless you.